0: I'll, I'll just start talking, and then I'll, I'll, I'll figure out how many picks I do when I stop talking.
1: This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. Engineers have watched over 2 million hours of Frontend Masters videos to upgrade their skills in the latest best practices in frontend development and Node.js. Popular video courses of theirs include courses on advanced javascript angular 2 react api design with node and functional and asynchronous javascript many of their teachers have even been guests on javascript jabber check them out at frontendmasters.com hey everybody and welcome to episode 234 of the javascript jabber show this week on our panel we have jameson dance hello friends Amy Knight.
2: hello from nashville at last
1: (laughs) charles maxwood from devchat.tv And this week, we have two guests. We have Brian Douglas. Hi. And we have Matt Christensen. Hey there. Uh, Do the the two of you want to introduce yourselves really quickly?
3: Yeah, Matt, you go first. Okay, sure. So um, my name is Matt Billman, uh, and I'm the founder of Netlify, where we're building a a modern platform for, for the kind of apps and sites we're going to talk about today called the Jamstack sites. Um, so, Netlify is basically a, a platform for deploying and building and uh, maintaining modern websites. Uh, before Netlify, I've, I've been doing several other projects. I, I was the founder of WebPop, and I spent seven years in Spain, where I was the CTO of Domestica and built tens of thousands of, of websites.
4: Cool. And then um, I'll introduce myself. Uh, I'm Brian Douglas. I am here in the Bay Area, uh, specifically Oakland. And I do front end for Netlify, but I'm also a developer advocate, meaning that I just do some more talking and meetups, talks, and I'm also the host of Jamstack Radio, which is another podcast um, that's out there in the space.
1: Awesome. Well, we did bring you on to talk about Jamstack, and (laughs) I remember, um, I think we talked on uh, Google Hangouts or something for a few minutes, I don't remember, but I think we talked and then we lined up the call. And yeah. uh, you explained to me a little bit of what Jamstack is. Do you want to kind of give us that thumbnail picture of uh, what what Jamstack is, and what it's about? Because I thought it was an interesting take on building applications.
3: For sure, I I can I can start with with that. So so Jamstack stands for JavaScript APIs and markup, um, and essentially it's it's a way of, it's a way of naming this new stack that has emerged during the last five years or so around, at first, just around um, things like modern build tools, like Gulp and Grunt initially, but also static site generators like Jekyll and Middleman and Hugo and so on. Um, And also around the whole uh, workflow uh, centered around Git that that has sort of become a thing for front-end developers during the during the rise of, of github five years ago when 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 you talk to any front-end developers they would probably be FTPing into a server and, and working directly on on code and things like that and today pretty much any front-end developer has a workflow where where they use git as their version control but also as their mechanism for deploying and pushing and pulling collaborating and use build tools to to compile and watch uh, both asset pipelines, but also to a larger and larger degree, the 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 build of the actual markup. And then in the same period, we've we've sort of seen browsers. We've seen Internet Explorer six die first of all, in, which means that today browsers are, are much more than just uh, document viewers. They're really like an operating system where JavaScript running in the browser can talk to all kinds of APIs and 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 where a lot of the functionality that we normally had to do in big monolithic sites or apps on the server can be pushed to JavaScript in the browser today. And these things have sort of come together to to form a new stack where you can say the, the stack has moved up a level. Before it was all it, w- it was things like the Lamp stack that was all about like the operating system, the specific web server you would use and the programming language you would use, the database you would use. And today it's more about actually Pushing out markup that uh, uses JavaScript to talk to APIs, um, and it, like the, the the name itself sort of came about after we had been been working a, a while in the in the space initially of, of of what we would talk about as a static deployments so or static hosting, um, but. Always found whenever we talked with with anybody in this space that that was like a really weird term for 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 what it was we were doing and what it was this whole um, new way of building sites was was about. Um, I remember talking to, to to Thomas Reynolds who built the middleman, the stake site generator, uh, and he 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 told us how at Instrument they had gone from having essentially um, a team of mostly backenders to a team with around 35 developers where two of them did backend and all the rest were essentially working on the front end and building large production sites with static build tools that would push out Markdown that then would hook up some JavaScript and, and do a lot of work in the client. And feeling that calling those kind of sites uh, static sites was really weird because this was like, as he said, like the latest site he worked on was a 200 probably like hundreds of thousands of lines of ruby code um with a whole developer team working on it and doing all kinds of of, of interesting shit like a uh, job board in the browser uh, real time um, visualizations of 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 data and so on but but all built with this approach where you don't have a moving backend and where you and where you kind of pre-build out a lot of markup. Uh, talk to a lot of different APIs and use JavaScript to tie it all together. Um, and as we talk to more and more people, this this term started to, to, to form around the Jamstack, the SNU stack, as, as a new stack for, for both websites and apps.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting to me just in the sense of um, having kind of grown up on Ruby on Rails and that being a large yeah. backend system. To be able to look at a system and go, okay, so essentially I move all of the stuff that I have in Rails to the front end and then I take advantage of APIs and provide some markup to my system and then, yeah, I use JavaScript to manipulate the rest of it. So my persistence uh, layer, a lot of my business logic and, uh, you know, some of the other concerns that I would have handled on the back end are now either handled via APIs
4: and yeah. completely handled in JavaScript. Yeah. Yep. And one, one good use case of it is like whenever you build a, like a, a blog per se, I guess, like every time I've, I went to go ahead and b- build a blog, uh, first thing I pull in to do comments is Discuss. And Discuss is an API that I just point to drop in a little bit of JavaScript and I have comments on my blog. So there's no need to build out the entire like Rails or Node backend to have comments on your blog when you get to sign up for the Disqus service and then drop in the script and that's basically what Jamstack's all about. So
0: I'm a little confused uh, about what this actually means. Because to me, it sounds like you're saying instead of talking about you have a back-end server and front-end, you have front-end and then you have an API. I mean, the API yeah. is your back-end server. How, how is it It sounds like you've given a name to a thing we've been doing for a while. I, I'm, I'm confused how it's different. Yeah.
4: And we had, so we've had this conversation over and over. Um, every time we write a blog post about Jamstack, um, yeah, we're basically adding a name to something we've already been doing, which is correct. Um, I think I, about a, two years ago when I first got on JavaScript, I got to really hard into Ember. Uh, and one of the terms that um, I picked up really quickly was the, the term separation of concerns. So once I actually learned my front-end framework, which was Ember, um, I always build like a Rails API. And um, I, that was always separate between the two. Um, repositories, um, so that way I always had an idea of like where I could always host my Rails API on Heroku. Um, but then the question was like, where do I put my my front end code? And uh, at the time, DivShot was pretty popular, so I was actually a pretty active DivShot user before they um, were merging the Firebase. And I think that's uh, that's what we do at Netlify. We we take that front end um, portion of your app when it's separated into two different repositories, and uh, uh, we use that and we call that Jamstack. So. Does that kind of clear it up a little bit? Um,
3: I, I I could add. Yeah, a I I, to g- that. I guess I'm still I mean, confused because I I think the point about like, like you you make a really good point that this is definitively something that that people have been doing for for a long time, uh, and it's not it's not like the Jamstack is 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 some new piece of technology or something like that. It's it's more way of of. Like the problem we ran into was that we were talking to people both both in, in the area where people were building uh, sites around static site generators and in the area where people were starting to build single page apps in in a way that 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 it's actually fairly recent that people started for example to really separate their Rails app and their single page app and say, instead of having my single page rep app inside my Rails app and, and just kind of do things the old way, but with more JavaScript, they really started to build self-standing applications in their old repositories that would um, that would talk to APIs, but um, but not be part of the API as such. And on the other hand, in the static site generation community, we've just seen hundreds of new stakes like generators come out. And we've also seen like people build more and more ambitious projects with them, like large publications or sites with uh, thousands of pages and interactive elements and so on. Um, and when we were talking to, to people, we, f- we, we could see there was actually the same thing happening, but there was not like a good nomenclature around actually talking about it. That's the same thing. Um, and, and, I remember DevShot started talking about static apps, for example, which is like a really weird name, right? Because you don't want an app to be static by, by definition, it's something dynamic, right? And, and and in the in the when we talk about static sites, we keep running into the same issue as well as that that people are actually building sites with a set of tools that build the markup up front and pushes it somewhere, but that are not static in in any normal sense of the word. That actually hyperdynamic, and that's why between a lot of these people, we, we this this term this term, nomenclature of talking about the jam stack instead sort of started growing out.
1: Yeah, and to the question of okay, so we've we've been talking to a backend for years. Um, what this does is this eliminates one layer that you have to understand because essentially, instead of coming up with a system written in Rails or Express or Uh, Phoenix or something else and building out those APIs that it talks to you're taking advantage of APIs that already exist so the example was given of having Firebase as sort of your (laughs) back end or you could use something like Parse which is an open source system that you can (laughs) sync data through or something like that so all you have to do is have that system out on the internet somewhere you don't have to customize it you don't have to work on it you don't have to do anything else with it all you have to know is JavaScript how to build your business logic what kind of markup you need, and then how you talk to that API to persist or retrieve any data you need. Amy, I think you're going to – oh, go ahead.
2: Well, I was going to get into – so I'm Googling around here, and I just came across (laughs) some slides, um, and it looks like the three main points so far that I've looked at are security, reliability, and performance. Um, So can you talk about those three and why Jamstack is uh, better if you're concerned with those things?
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, who's so,
2: not concerned with those
3: things? But <laughs> <laughs> most most people are, right? <laughs> yeah, and I guess this is also why we're starting to see so much, so much going on in this area. And so, security and 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 reliability and and performance—all things that that have sort of become a larger and larger issue for for the traditional way of building, especially websites, especially when you talk about like things like WordPress and Drupal and so on, where where you have this threat. Traditional monolithic approach, um, where where even f- where, where you have like something like a content-driven site, but every time someone visits that site, you actually interact with a running program that has to build up that site and send it back to you. And that that way of working has 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 meant that we've as the web has scaled and uh, something that that like. We still, some some of you might still know the term of being slash dotted, when, which, which is like the old term for getting on a social news network and then traffic crushes your server. But slash dot, the, the amount of traffic that would send years ago is just minuscule compared to what modern social networks can send in terms of traffics. So that also means that just to run a normal site that that might someday get a traffic spike. You have to implement layers and layers of caching, and it makes publication difficult. It makes maintenance difficult and introduces a lot of complexity. And then that complexity in itself introduces a lot of of security holes. I saw in Netcraft's last study, I think it showed that around 70% of all WordPress sites are vulnerable to known exploits. And... Drupal had this famous Drupal couple lips a while ago where where there was a zero day exploit that the core team announced that if you hadn't fixed, if you hadn't updated after they announced their update within seven hours, you should consider your whole server uh, hacked and rebuild everything. And that affected millions of millions of sites, right? Um so of course if you can take an approach where where you where you try to minimize any interaction with a running program during the the visit to a site, then you make the surface area for 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 security exploits much, much smaller. So if you can pre-build as much of your site up front and decouple the build process from the actual process of running or hosting the site, then you eliminate like almost all normal security issues. Then you'll probably still have some parts of your site where, where, where you need something that you can't pre-build up front for all this sort of dynamic elements. But again, if you can isolate in t- that into much smaller special purpose APIs, then, it, then, then you can delegate a lot of the maintenance and hosting to the one that runs those APIs. And even if you run them yourself, you still have a much smaller surface area around those APIs that are way easier to reason about. So that does a lot for security, but it also does a lot for performance because the more you pre-build up front, the more you can take and distribute directly on a on a content delivery network. And you can serve those those files directly from 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 the place where the where your visitors are. And that that also again for reliability just makes it way easier to scale. The more you can just Push out to a content delivery network. The the less you'll you'll have to ever worry about scaling for traffic spikes or the like. And I could mention like a good story around this on on, on Netlify was uh, was a company called Spiro that built the 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 toy version of the BB Eight droid from the new Star Wars movies. And. Uh, that's like it's, it's a pretty nice thing if you ever want to start a company. just just make sure you get your your toy into the largest movie franchise in the world um, and, uh, and and then start selling it. Um, th- so they somehow managed to do that, but then up to the premiere of the new Star Wars movies, they had to prepare for, for, for the worldwide launch of that and, and the traffic that would come with that. So they did that by essentially building out their their whole site. Uh, with a build tool that would spit out all the core pages and then they were using angular to to do all the dynamic stuff uh, client-side but all the basics would would already be pre-built and, and loaded up front and then they they just put it on netlify like a, a week before the the premiere of 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 the new star wars movies and were able to handle like i think we we served more than six terabytes of traffic for them in mean, it's shortly been a pretty short time span.
2: So I want to back up, too, and ask maybe a more basic question. So excuse me if this is like a little bit of an ignorant question. But um, on these slides, and you also said earlier hyperdynamic, that seems like a little bit buzzwordy to me. So can you explain exactly what you mean by that?
3: Yeah. I mean, basically, I, when I say hyperdynamic, I mean what 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 do we think about of dynamic? There's two things that one is that the the content of the site um, refreshes, right? Like that 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 it's not just a static landing page that that's sitting around and and not doing anything, but things like uh, having a news publication or or, a, or a magazine where where the content is is alive. But then there's just also all the parts of of interaction stuff like being able to to do search on the site or comments or um, filtering or the, all 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 these functionalities that we think about as as dynamic and and what we're seeing is that a lot of these sites that are are built with with these static tools because they are actually pushing out markup that then lets JavaScript take over a lot of stuff. They become much more dynamic than than the WordPress sites so or the Rails application we were all building uh, three years ago, right? Because they they re, because they really live in the browsers as, as as applications and are able to respond very fast. So so that's kind of what I mean with with hyperdynamic that that we've gone from these sites that were dynamic by by running a program on a server every time we 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 visited. To going to sites that are that are even more dynamic by running a program in your browser every time we with, visit.
2: Okay, that really helps because you know, like I've heard static, I've heard dynamic. It's pretty clear the difference, but dynamic seem to be like it wasn't a hundred percent clear, but that's more clear now. Thank you. Awesome.
1: So my question is, how far can you take this? Because it seems like you know, for a blog or something <laughs> like that, where the the data structure isn't that complicated. You know, you probably have a few data types like authors and posts and maybe comments. Um, yeah. You know, how, how far can you take this? Could you build like a full-on CRM on something like this? Or could you go into building out um, some complicated financial or uh, medical software with this?
3: Um, so I, I would say s as always with, with any technology, it, it depends, right? And that's like, I wouldn't try to build, well, it, it depends, right? Because a lot of the things you see around single page apps will mean that you will build the actual application at, as a little bit of markup and then a lot of JavaScript. And that's of course something that, that can scale to building just about any kind of app. And like an example would be our own our own web UI that's like the web UI for Netlify that that handles deploying websites and uh, configuring SSL or setting up uh, DNS or anything of that. Like all of that is is a single page app in React that lives on Netlify and just talks to Netlify's public REST API. Um, And and that approach on the one end is is something that's very much just Becoming the way of building web applications more and more. But then there's the, the, the other end, which is large content driven sites. And there, I, I probably wouldn't try to build something where the content, where where you have. Maybe hundreds of thousands of pieces of content and they update fairly often, but we are starting to see projects with thousands of pieces of content and we have working with 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 a large publication in in the space of front-end development that are looking to to migrate their their whole publishing engine and e-commerce store and uh, job board and everything from a traditional uh, approach that where where they had some of it in WordPress and some of it in shopify to being to building out all the core content with a static site generator called Hugo that's that's interesting because it's capable of building a lot of content really fast. And then doing things like uh, e-commerce and jobs and comments and so on by by using JavaScript to talk to some small, very special purpose uh, open source APIs. Um, so I would say like you, you, I think in the next couple of years, we're going to see this being, we're going to see the limits being pushed a lot for what you can do with this, and we are already seeing it. If if you if you check out a site like, for example, Sequoia Capital's website that that we were a bit involved in, and that shows on netlify, um, that's a surprisingly large site for 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 a VC company. It's um, at least fifteen thousand separate uh, HTML pages all built out statically. And they do things like real time search in the browser. They have a job board with web, where where I can like all of the content is sort of built out uh, up front. But then with JavaScript they can enable super fast client side filtering and um and location based filtering and so on. Um so these are definitively the kind of projects that that shows that we have maybe when JGL got launched and so on, the, the the only things people would would build with these kind of tools were their own developer block. In while today we're starting to see like really interesting, really large projects getting built with this approach. And in a way, the the interesting thing is that 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 the larger the project, typically the more important these characteristics of performance and security and reliability becomes. So that's why even though this in some cases means pushing the, the, the limits a bit and, and figuring out how to, how to do this with a Jamstack approach, that's, that's why we're seeing agencies and companies going through that to, to, to get the advantage of, of sites that pretty much respond instantly and, and always stay up.
1: This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with a company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. But, I mean, to go to go to Chuck's point,
0: mm-hmm. it seems like this is a building these uh, kind of static-only sites that talk to APIs that you don't control or build is, is still... Um, I feel like the apps that I use all depend on are, are useful because of data that yeah. lives in a central server um, yeah and, I, and, and and controlling that data and controlling the api is really important like if if you can farm um one hundred percent of your backend off to third parties, um I feel like that really limits a lot of the interesting things you can do as a developer and and you can certainly uh skip a lot of busy work. And if you're building an app that doesn't really need a backend, like that just is showing web pages, then that's fine too. But um,
3: no, I, I don't know. I I, I I agree with that. I mean, I I wouldn't focus too much on. I mean, I think it's important that we have more and more of an API ecosystem where you can use existing APIs. But I think most people doing this will also build some of the APIs themselves. Not all of them, but 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 typically, as you say, you will have data that is really important to you. And that's part of the reason why your app exists. And that data you'll probably also rather want to expose through an API than just through some big monolithic web app, because you will probably also want to use that data from your mobile apps or for, for other uses. Um, but I, I, I think you're spot on in terms of it's also an, an important part of it to, to have the that that you can't do everything just with off-the-shelf APIs. And I think one thing we are interested in seeing is also beginning to create a bit of an ecosystem for for open-source APIs, where some of those might also be, be run and as managed services, but where you also have the option of running them yourself or adapting them yourself or, or tailoring to, to your own use case.
4: And there's another point to add to... So Netlify.com is actually a Jamstack site itself. Yeah. Um, The whole backend, the API, it's not a third-party API. It's an API that we built. Um, So it actually is a Rails API that's just rendering JSON. And then uh, in the actual React app, we're consuming that JSON and then presenting the data. We consume the API and we throw that that in the Redux and we handle it just as any other React app that would be handled isomorphically or universally, whatever the the popular term is. Um, And then another example, so I... When I first moved to the Bay Area, I had this issue where I ride the BART uh, to the train train system. And uh, so I built this app because the very first week I started uh, my job in San Francisco, um, there was the Bay Series, the baseball game. So basically, the baseball games between Oakland and San Francisco basically clogs up all public transportation. So my idea was to build an app to tell me when not to ride the BART or when when not to ride public transportation or when to get home earlier. Um, So I built that to a Rails API, I read this JSON. And I originally built this into an Ember app um, where I was just running that JSON to Ember. Uh, but the nice thing about j- using the Jamstack approach where you have the separate repo, you have the your API, which is what I built. Uh, I built it by scraping ESPN data. Um, I was able to then switch that to a React app. I was then able to switch that front end also to a React native app. And then, um, yeah, I think that's uh, as far as I went. I'm about to now look into doing it as a purely static site that this presents the data gives me notifications and lets me know like when not to ride the bar. And just to go back to your, your, your question, Jameson, that, um, the API itself, yes, it's, it's, it's something I built. So I guess the only using off the shelf third-party APIs is I, it's like the more ideal way, but when you want to be your third-party API, um, you're able to do that as well.
3: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good, a pretty good explanation. And also like also just to keep in mind that, that, this is basically to to create some nomenclature around and an and, and architecture for 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 building sites. Um, and APIs are mo- mainly plural because you often end up with with this stack to talk talking to a bunch of different APIs. and some of them are your own. Some of them comes from other places. Even in the Netlify app, we both from from the from the web app, we we talk a lot, of course, to our own REST API. But we also talk a lot to GitHub's API, to GitLab's API, to Bitbucket's API. Um, whenever you configure a project through any of those, and so on, right? And 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 it's sort of something that's just snuck in on all of us. But that was definitively just not something you could actually do in the browser uh, a few years ago. And it's come together with with cross-origin requests. It's come together with the death of IE6 and 8. Um, and, uh, and it's, and it's really interesting how, how it's becoming like the, the natural way of working for, for a lot of developers.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So are there specific APIs that you recommend people get started with to start building on Jamstack? And are there certain JavaScript frameworks or other libraries that make it easy to get going as well?
4: I, I have a, so serverless is a, a framework that talks to Lambda, um. I wouldn't recommend start with this, but I just wanted to bring up the the point that you could actually have Lambda functions as your, your backend. Um, this could get pretty complicated, um, but there are some people who have done it. I know Kevin Old, um, just he's on the React Native, he hosts that um, podcast with uh, Nader, and um, he actually had a whole talk on this at the, at, I think, at React Rally, I think, maybe, the last week. Um, but yeah, so that's clarify, also he when did. When you
1: say Lambda functions, you're talking about Amazon's um, cloud Service that, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. function
4: as a service. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so you're able to well, some people have built some pretty complicated CRM like tooling where you just populate um, Dynamo DBD tables. So this is a giant key value store where you just add new records to your your giant JavaScript object, um, which is really interesting, but it seems kind of scary. Um, I'm only just now getting in the Mongo. Um, so I'm not really as familiar with non-SQL databases. Um, but there's also, on that point, like RethinkDB has Horizon. Um, that's pretty new where you could just, you're, you're back in the service. Firebase is also another um, good uh, starter kit uh, as a, uh, what do you call it, like a, a database as a service. And then there's one app that comes to mind, uh, Ihani. Um, he's part of the JavaScript error panel. Uh, he actually built this, this entire site, which is the Facebook page on Liker. Uh, it's one of the first things I saw him build uh, and got me excited about Ember, where he wanted to try build an Ember app with no backend that just talks directly to the Facebook API. Um, so sites that have just a, a JSON API that's just available, um, you could also do stuff like that. And I think that would, to answer your question originally in the roundabout way to get to this, is I think any sort of like REST API that's available to you, like Twitter or Facebook, that you just want to play with and try it out, um, I highly recommend that. Um, I do a bit of mentoring through uh, a coach school called Block. And uh, I have one of my students actually building, we had started with a, a Rails app um, that talked to the uh, the Twitter gym. And he built out, a ba- basically just rebuilt Twitter using uh, a Rails. And then we switched over to using React on the front end. And it, as a learning exercise, we took out the Rails and then put Node uh, as the backend uh, in an express API. So just like, just the, the opportunity is basically endless on what you could try. So I would recommend anything that is serving JSON currently for you.
3: And for generally getting started with with, with with sites that use this approach, we actually haven't really announced this yet, but we recently built a little uh, boilerplate called uh, Victor Hugo for building epic websites, uh, throwing a little link here, um, which is just for for combining uh, Hugo as a static site generator to, to output all your markup with a webpack to build all your JavaScript. Um, and Gulp to handle uh, just the general asset pipeline. So that's that's sort of the other end of it, where 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 we just build our own website with with this boilerplate, the new version of it, and we have some people building some pretty cool projects with it now. Now,
2: is Jamstack open source or closed source? Because I'm trying to find it on GitHub, and I haven't been able to find it.
3: Uh, the website itself is so is should be open. Let me see. Um, it's it's open. Um, let me
0: but, drop But to be clear, it's not a framework. It's not code. It's, no, it's you're, you're giving a name to this existing idea of building your front end to consume third party APIs, basically. Yeah. Correct.
1: If people want to check out Netlify or see other examples of jam stacking in action, or are there other resources, uh, where should they go? What should they do in order to figure out what you guys are talking about? these
4: days i would say check out netlify.com uh we do have a blog that we actively uh contribute to um at least more than two to, two to three times a week um there's also jamstack radio which is the podcast that i started very recently um which we go over some of those details and we also talk to some um not only people who are doing Jamstack, but also skeptics uh so i had uh, some people from airbnb airbnb on uh, one episode uh, that's not out yet and uh i think from there you should be pretty good Good to go. Um, we're pretty active in Gitter as well. Um, so if you're a Gitter person, um, check us out, Netlify.
3: And if you're in the Bay Area, we also run a, a, a meetup uh, that used to be called the uh, SF Static Web Tech, and now it's called uh, the SF Jamstack Meetup.
4: Very cool. Yeah, and just uh, – sorry, I just wanted to add, too, just to be clear, like, Netlify is the, not the only place where you can host uh, no, jamstack absolutely. s websites. So uh, there's Surge. Um, Firebase Hosting also can do it. Um and there's a couple other ones, too, out there that I uh, highly recommend checking out as well, as well and comparing. Yeah. All right. Well,
1: let's go ahead and do some picks. Jameson, do you have some picks for us? I sure do.
0: Uh, I will do. I'll, I'll, I'll just start talking, and then I'll, I'll, I'll figure out how many picks I do when I stop talking. The first pick is called The Early History of Small Talk. It's a um, kind of a write-up by Alan Kay on the origins of Smalltalk. And it's an awesome look into some kind of history of computing things that are, that are pretty cool. It's, uh, there's, there's been a lot of work before all of us started programming. And, and a lot of people have had a lot of great ideas. And it's fun to see um, some of those ideas that uh, have existed long before they ga- became popular, and even some that uh, haven't quite caught on yet. Um, My next pick is, uh, I think Brian already mentioned it, but React Rally 2016 videos are out now. They're up on YouTube, so you can watch things like Kevin Old's um, uh, serverless talk, and there's also 19 other talks. Uh, As an organizer, I basically got to see like two minutes of every talk, so I'm excited to go through and watch (laughs) them all now to see what the conference I organized was like. Uh, And my last pick is going to be self-serving. I run a software consulting company called FiveStack. Uh, if you go to fivestack.computer, you can see all like five lines of HTML that I've written for our website. Um, we build great software products and we're looking for uh, for a couple more clients. So if you could talk to me, if you're interested in that, uh, just talk to me through the email address that's on that website. Those are my picks.
1: All right, Amy, what are your picks?
2: Okay, so this is a pretty good blog post. It's a little bit older, but somehow I stumbled upon it um, and I thought it was really, really good. But Um, it's called falsehoods programmers believe, and, um, there's the main blog post, but then if you click on the links, um, like there's one falsehoods programmers believe about time zones, and then it will give you a couple, but if you click on like the main header, it'll link you to another article with just a ton of stuff. So, um, especially, you know, we work in a community where, um, I think it's good. There's a lot of like conversation, about, um, you know, questioning uh, things that you take for granted. So um, like one of these is falsehoods programmers believe about names, about time, um, things like that. So if you, especially if you are a front-end developer, I feel like, I guess it goes to for back-end, but especially for front-end, when you're working on accepting user input and things like that, there's a lot of things that you might take for granted Um, just based on your past experiences that you're not considering for other people. So I'll put a link for this article in the show notes because I thought it was pretty good. And then my second pick is going to be November. I know there's a lot of talk on Twitter about it, but it's a great conference. And especially, um, like I said, I actually moved to the area just because I love the JavaScript community here. Um, It's a great place for me to move. So I think you should come out and attend November. And that's it for me
1: all right um i've got a couple of picks here um last week was kind of crazy for me um if you are following the twitterverse then you know what i'm talking about and if not then not so much but it was that and the fact that i had to drive my dad to the hospital a couple of times and um i had angular remote conf and anyway it was just it was just an insane week and uh, i was super exhausted frustrated and uh, a little bit angry and uh Anyway, my escape is a mixture of audiobooks and um, podcasts. And so anyway, I don't know why, but it just turned out that I was a couple weeks behind on the 48 Days podcast by Dan Miller, who actually lives in Nashville. Um, And uh, it was exactly what I needed to hear. It was kind of funny. So I'm going to pick the show just because, um, you know, it was just one of those things where, for whatever reason, he was talking about you know, some of the things that I need to know. And then, um, my other escape lately has been The Fall of Hades by Richard Paul Evans. Um, it is the sixth, I think, book in the Michael Bay series. Um, I've really enjoyed the books. It's nice because I can just sit and listen. Um, they're young adults, so, um, the, the, you know, the plot structure and things like that aren't as complicated as, you know, some of the things that are, that you find that are more adult genre fiction um, or adult um, level fiction. So anyway, it's it's really easy to listen to, uh, really easy to follow, and I can kind of relax my brain a little bit while I listen to a fun story about kids that have powers, electricity powers. So anyway. So relatable. I know, right? Um, so yeah, that those are my picks. Brian, what are your picks?
4: All right. Um, so I'm actually a big fan of the podcast, and I actually listen to almost all of the dev chat Podcast, So I know there's sometimes there's some non so serious picks. So I have my first not-so-series picks is actually John Benjamin. Uh, I'm not sure if he's a comedian, but he hired a, a jazz band to play piano with him. So there's a band backing him on piano. And uh, he actually doesn't know how to play piano. So he plays with the jazz band. But then when it comes to his part, it's absolutely horrid of uh, what he actually starts playing. It's this very bad piano. Um, so <laughs> I recommend so everybody... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I recommend everybody watch that because it will definitely like brighten up your day. Um, knowing that some guy is playing piano with a very amazing jazz band. Um, my other pick is RailsConf 2016. There was a so Stella Cotton she spoke and she worked at Indiegogo and they got to a DDoS attack and it was a giant monolithic Rails app. And they didn't know what to do. So they ended up switching the, I guess, uh, the resolution. I'll give you the spoiler. Um, they switched their actual entry point, their main web, uh, Indiegogo.com, to a static site. And then for individual pages, they also switched to static pages as well to prevent any sort of like uh, slash dotting. Uh, for, for example, I forgot which, which campaign actually did it for them. But it was some campaign that basically blew up uh, Indiegogo because uh, everybody was actually trying to view this site. Um, And then my final pick, actually, before that, my other pick is React Native. Um, If some people have been skeptics and have tried it like a year ago, um, it's come a long long way uh, in only a short year. So, heck, I recommend if you haven't tried it, try it again. Um, And then finally, my final pick is Kanye West. Um, I am unapologetic for Kanye West. He he came from uh, Nobody to produce beats from Jay-Z, and now he has kind of gone a little bit past the the line uh but there's a podcast called book of the yay and i highly recommend uh listening to it it's uh, a bunch of guys who are big fans of kanye west and, uh, they've been fans for a while and they talk about the good and bad about kanye west so if you're very interested into it um which i'm sure you are uh check out the book of the A podcast
1: i just find the idea of podcasts about celebrities fascinating
4: oh <laughs> uh, this one is uh, you'll be hooked i promise <laughs>
1: all right matt what are your picks
3: um, so I, when I relax, I, I I like to relax by reading science fiction, whether it's sometimes really bad science fiction or sometimes really good science fiction. And uh, one of the really good authors I've I've enjoyed a lot is uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. Um, his newest book is uh, called Aurora, and it's 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 really good if 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 a little depressing, uh, but talks about this uh, generation starship that's been sent. Uh, sent on an expedition to, to, to one of the nearest stars and has already been underway for for hundreds of years with still generations of people growing up on the ship and about the 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 batch of the, the generation that actually arrives to the star and what, what actually happens there and so on. It's really fascinating. His 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 Mars trilogy is, is pretty amazing as well. Um, talking about the colonization of, of Mars and the expansion of of humankind to the whole universe. So recommend that. All right,
1: cool. Well, um, Amy asked a question I just wanted to put out there cause I think it, it's interesting, but do you have examples? You, you talked about a few, but, uh, were there yeah. any
3: other examples you wanted to give us? I, I think the Indiegogo that, that you just uh, talked about sounds, sounds really, really interesting. Um, our own app of course is, is, is a typical example there's a lot of those, um, Bounty Source has 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 an open source app that's also pretty interesting. Uh, the Sequoia Capital website is a really interesting example of a content-driven site, just because it's like a, a large, uh, multi-regional site with a ton of content, uh, talking to Contentful and uh, a larger job uh, job API that 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 they use to power the job boards and everything. Spiro um, Spiro.com is a pretty fun example as well of of. Um, uh, of, of a main.com dot sites with 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 e commerce and so on. That's that's also pretty cool.
2: Yeah, if you can add those to the show notes, I was thinking. Um, I was just really trying to look for like some code examples because I felt like that would help explain things. So
3: Phil Hawksworks also has a has a really good post about um, about his his site um, of of how to sort of building an isomorphic Jamstack site. Um, just see if I can dig up the the, the link for that, um, but um, but that's a really interesting post about how, how, how he uses um, in a way JavaScript based server side rendering to pre-build all the markup, but then hydrate it once you once you load the the, the post. Um, just for a site called Comedy in the Crown um, that that he's working on. That 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 post has has a lot of good examples and explanations
1: all right well we'll go ahead and wrap up with that hopefully folks can go check out those examples and uh we'll catch everyone next week see ya.
3: bye bye Bye.